Welcome to the Meditation Podcast. You can find all the episodes on meditationpodcast.org. We're also on YouTube. You find the links in the podcast description. I've got four other podcasts, and I'm a podcasting coach, and you can find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Today, my guest, fellow podcaster, artist, author, and hundreds of other things, but you can see the beautiful art behind her if you actually come and watch. Please welcome Peza. Lord, did I do it justice? Yes, you did, Tessa. Thank you, and, and welcome to everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, an impressive four books and uh, artist and doing a lot of things. But I suppose let's let's just kind of introduce yourself to the listeners. Right, and I've just given birth to my fifth book, which I'm really excited about. It really is like birthing. You feel like when you're an artist and you're tapping into the creative mode, which is part of the meditative life, that you have given birth to something new to the world. And no attachment, just let it fly, let it be discovered or let it have its you know, destiny. Excellent. So yeah. I suppose let, let's start with your journey, how you got in, because I know you're doing the yoga and the meditation. You might just oh. tell me your journey. <clears throat> Well, I am a lifelong yoga practitioner and meditator. Lifelong meaning, <laughs> if you can't see me, let me tell you, I, I have no problems about saying my age. I'm 74. That's an amazing thing to have this many decades of meditation and the practice of the yoga disciplines under my belt. It really comes in handy as you approach those times with our physical being where everything seems to just like fall apart. <laughs> so a yoga practice is a wonderful thing. And I discovered it because I was gifted with a bad case of scoliosis. And I say gifted because it forced me to find a solution. And yoga was the only solution that I could find at the age of 18. You might let me know what scoliosis is for those. Well, scoliosis is a damaged spine. And it, it can happen either at birth or it can happen. In my case, I believe I fell out of a tree. I was always climbing trees and I had mishaps. And my spine was so crooked that, you know, you get spinal in, uh, pain that's severe. So much so that you just, it's excruciating. You have nerve um, pain and it can happen uh, to anyone, men or women. A lot of uh, young girls for, for, for some reason get it more than guys and you don't get it usually later in life. So it's, it's a younger thing. And in my case, my parents did whatever they could, but, you know, doctors and chiropractors, they just basically said, you know, she's a hopeless case. She has one leg longer than the other or whatever excuse, but really it's a curvature of the spine and yoga. When you start practicing yoga, most people know it through the physical exercises, which are called asanas, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. When you start practicing yoga, you're moving mostly your spine in these beautiful postures that have been done for eons. The, the scriptures refer back to, you know, before the Bible even was known to the world, the yoga sutras they're called. And they don't talk about the postures too much in the, in the ancient scriptures. They talk about the meditative approach to receiving the knowledge that this body is our physical temple. And so I got that right away. I said, oh, my temple, my temple needs really a lot of help. So I started 
working on my temple, meaning my body. I didn't think of it as just pumping iron or, you know, getting those six pack abs like today people think of when they go to the gym. I really thought of my temple. I wanted to, it to be strong and I didn't want it to pain me. So the, the discipline of yoga, whether it begins with just meditation, because some people are handicapped and they can't do the postures, maybe they're wheelchair bound or even bed bound, but you can still practice yoga because it's a combination of body, mind, and spirit. So it all begins with wherever you're at. <laughs> and like, because I suppose it's like coaching these days. There's some people, you know, they do a two-hour course and then they're actually a coach. The same with, that's my fear um, is that you have some people yeah. teaching yoga that just kind of, you know, yes. they've, they've done an eight-week course from somebody else and then they're out certain. I know. I think they can do some damage by actually, you know, showing the wrong it's, conditions. It's tricky business, yes. Uh, one of my fellow yoga uh, teachers, I'm, I have the ability to teach, but I'm just so busy writing an arting and podcasting that I'm not a yoga teacher unless somebody begs me to they can come and join me any day but my fellow teacher here in town calls them fast food yogis the ones who take a course and all of a sudden they're yoga teachers or they're shamans or they're guides or coaches even so you do have to be very careful you have to vet who you're working with and most importantly, you have to feel so connected to whoever it is that you have decided to use as a coach or a mentor or a teacher that you feel truth. There is no discrepancy with what the person who's helping you is saying and the way you're receiving it. There should never be, oh, no, 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 that doesn't feel right. Because within us all, we do have access to the cosmic consciousness that meditation taps into and that's truth. So you should never be with a teacher that feels like, ah, I don't, I don't really dig what they're saying <laughs> or doing. And, and I mentioned at the start about the beautiful art that you've, and I've, I've actually looked at your website so I could see the different, you do sculptures as well and different things. But I'm just curious, to, like that's a form of meditation as such, because when you're painting or creating a sculpture, you're zoned into something specific. So external forces aren't really you know you haven't that mental chatter well yeah once you learn the basics okay you must learn how to hold a pencil <laughs> you must learn i at least i did it's helpful for me like the colors the relationship the, the color wheel they call it what is compliments what are you know like opposites and and for my case, because I love the human figure, to me, the epitome of beauty is the human figure. And so it was very helpful to study anatomy. You have to start with the bones. You have to start with the muscles. So once you have done the basics, then you tap into this cosmic consciousness, which in yoga terms, we call it the second chakra. The second chakra is where it all happens. That's where your spiritual energy arises that's where your creative energy arises. And that's also where your sexuality arises. All these powerful forces arise from the same spiritual center in our being. Isn't that amazing that they're all connected like that? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, when we were talking about, you know, the, the McDonald's yogis or whatever. Uh, the fast I mean, food yogis. <laughs> fast food yogis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned the shame and as well, like, because it was actually something that was discussed on one of your podcasts that I was listening to. And you were just talking about, like, say, the ayahuasca, because I just kind of came back from uh, Mind Valley University. And there's a lot of people big into the ayahuasca. And yeah, I get it if somebody wants to try to maybe do it once, but I'm noticing that there's people, they're just, it's like they have to keep doing it. And you hear people and, oh, I've done it 12 times, I'm doing it again, as well as playing around with other stuff. And you might just touch on that because I kind of, I like the way that you kind of discussed that with your husband. Oh, okay. Yes, my husband, my dear co-partner, co-host on Z-Lord podcast, he said, Tezzy, you have to tell the world your story about you and plants. I said, oh, really, you think they're ready for that? <laughs> he said, yes, you must, because I'm an expert. In my youth, I don't even like to say that. I mean, I am- You're still like, young. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> In my earlier years, I was a botanical illustrator at Harvard University when all these early discoveries were being researched by what is now called ethnobotanists. And so I worked with uh, Richard Evans Schultes, who was the head of the botanical department at Harvard. And I was the person who did these intricate, and I must say quite beautiful drawings. What a, what a wonderful opportunity for my life to have opened into such an intimate relationship with these plants that are called divination plants. And Schultes went on to write uh, a book with two other authors that's called The Plants of the Gods. And my work was featured in the first edition. The first edition had a lot more classical illustrations. So my work was in the old tradition of scientific drawing. So I, I worked and studied and drew and imbibed these sacred plants to better know my subjects. It's just like if I'm doing a portrait of you, Roy, I want to like be able to see you smile and laugh and frown and all these different expressions that a human goes through so I can really capture the real you that happens as a culmination of all these different emotions going on. And sometimes I even slept in greenhouses where these tropical Amazonian drug plants, where I used to I call them jungle potions because they really are shamanic plants that have been used for eons by shamans and brujos and curanderos in the Amazon. And also around the world, they're finding out more now that everybody in the world wanted to have the psychedelic experience. So in the podcast that you're referring to, I basically told my story, how I used psychedelics and psychotropics as ritualistic steps to touch the divine. And I want to say, first of all, that since 1984, I am absolutely a sober and, and, and clean person because I went to the extremes. And I'm one of those people who couldn't stop. I couldn't just say, ah, that one experience was enough. That's all I needed to shift no, I was a hungry little addict. <laughs> and I just wanted to, and <laughs> I'm pretty much that way about everything in life. And now I'm that way about the connection with the divine through my own power. So after telling my story, and I do refer to it in my books also, I don't make it a secret. 
basically I tell people who ever ask me, what do you think I should do? Like mushrooms or the vine, the sacred vine, yahe, ayahuasca, or peyote. I even had a car that I named the peyote mobile because I was so into peyote, which to me is the most sacred. But I would tell anybody, if you think that you are so broken that you cannot mend yourself on your own power, which is incredible, the most intense power that we have to heal ourselves is our own natural state. But if you think you are so broken, as I did, because I had childhood trauma, I came from you know, I don't want to go into that, but it wasn't good. It was an alcoholic home. I had a lot of healing to do. And I really, nobody told me that I could do it on my own, that I could meditate and I could go through the purification step by step, which happens with a regular yoga, not, not yoga, meditation practice. Any, any path will get you there as long as you are tuning into the cosmic consciousness, which is meditation. And Eckhart Tolle today, I, I'm a big fan of Eckhart. I've done a, a lot of work with him, intense workshops early in his public life. He doesn't even meditate because he's now so attuned to that consciousness of presence that he just can feel it by feeling his what he calls the inner body. So to make a long story short, I don't regret any of the experiences I had with the plant medicines, but I always have to warn people that they are sometimes addictive. And especially marijuana, people think marijuana is so innocent. No, it's not. It is highly addictive because you get, maybe it's not physiologically addictive, but it's psychologically addictive. You, you think, oh, I need to be high. But no, what it does, it just, here's your life. You're like a statue. It goes chip, 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 chip. It erodes your connection to cosmic consciousness. And pretty soon, you're going to crash. Growing up, I was never into it. I mean, I did try it a few times, but uh, I've seen people that did get addicted to it. Like they just had to have it. And even now I still know people. And it's like they feel it's their escapism or they feel like it's normal. But I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think yeah. that if you have to constantly do something, there's something wrong. Yeah. And my friend who's an acupuncturist, we went for a long walk the other day. And, and um, you know, she, she's a very open person and she is into her plant medicines at various stages of her development. But she says most people don't realize in Chinese medicine terms, when you imbibe anything, even a natural plant, it's considered your body receives it as a toxin. And you still have to go through the detoxing period, even though you think, oh, this is just the best relationship I've ever had with being alive. Everything makes sense. Well, yes, that's good. Take that experience as, as a bonus and know that you can get there on your own, but your body still has to detox from those plant-made, you know, nature-made uh, chemicals and alkaloids that come in that that do the work in your in your mental uh, interstices in there. And like a lot of people that with the ayahuasca, they they get sick and they just they, they say it's purging and they they make it look like it's a good thing and that's all part of the process. 
Well, it is. It is. Uh, yeah. And all, all the uh, like th things like peyote and uh, psilocybin, you can't just, it's not a free ride. <laughs> you definitely have to fasten your seatbelt and do a lot of puking. And hopefully you do not approach it with a lot of food in your stomach. But like I said, if somebody really wants to have that experience, I would never say, no, don't have it. But just know that it's not the ultimate. The ultimate is when you have the knowledge, which I'm giving you right now, everybody, if you haven't heard this before, you have everything within you to tap into oneness, unity consciousness, cosmic consciousness, Buddha consciousness, whatever you call it, God itself, intercellular connections, because it's um, a consciousness that we are born with. We are humans. This is our gift. This is our evolutionary genetic gift. And anyone who has not yet tapped into it, they're going to the moment they die, as they approach death. And so we who meditate say that we practice for our death by having a mini death every time we approach letting go of our ego and coming into that cosmic consciousness. And I can say these things with veracity because I have experienced them myself. And I've had people who have approached death, who have come back to give me a little peep into what's going on after we leave our physical body. And it is all interconnected. We are all just one big consciousness. And the sooner we, uh, many of us now, I mean, there's no stopping us. The expanded consciousness of humanity is, is, is taking over full force. And just uh, curious, have you done much on breathwork? Because that's something that I, oh, yeah. I've seen a lot. I mean, if you look at, say, <laughs> naturally releasing traumas and everything, I've seen a lot of people actually kind of remember what's happened through it. I, I've heard different stories of the levels oh, and yeah. everything. And I'm curious of your kind of oh, journey yeah. and your thoughts on the breathwork. Well, all my mind stillers, I call them, instead of meditation, I call them mind stillers. They're all about breath work. And I put them up on my YouTube channel. And of course, being a yogi, everything begins with the breath. So it's elementary, my dear Watson, <laughs> to tune into your breath. Now, the work, the work is letting go of the raka raka roo that goes on in our chatter, even though we're doing breath work, the sooner we can let go of the raka raka roo. So I use also mantra as I'm doing breath work because mantra, it helps. I, I, I refer to that raka raka roo, the busy mind, the, the monkey mind, as in, it needs to work. The brain needs to work. So as I'm following the breath work, I feed my monkey mind a banana and give it a mantra, a sacred mantra. And it just works for me. You know, the, the breath, instantly you shift gears. Instantly you surrender. You say, okay, because the breath is the bridge. The breath is the connection, the key to our, our lower self, our lower chakras, which is just functioning, just getting by and tapping into our own power. And then once we tune into the breath, we have the bridge into the higher chakras. 
And let's face it, if we're not breathing, we are dead. So breath is pure consciousness. And I see the whole universe or the multiverse <laughs> ever expanding as breath. If, if you look at anything that's happening out in the, the stars and the heavens, you see it pulsating. You see the breath of the cosmos. You see the air here around Earth. It's the breath of Gaia, the breath of our mother planet. So everything breathes, even a rock. Absolutely, absolutely. So I know that you, you kind of touch on kind of helping people that go through trauma. Do, is it more kind of the meditation that you encourage them or is it a combination of, you know, mind, body, spirit? Well, the reason I'm so public about my journey is because we all have that responsibility to heal ourselves. You can't just go to a shaman and say, okay, heal me. You can't go to a coach and say, okay, you do the work. Uh, uh, you know, all the helpers, the mentors, the teachers, the books, the art, they're all here to help us as tools. And if each person takes advantage of all the many tools that are out there, I mean, this world will become healed and solve all the multiple problems that we have because for every person or every problem there is there's going to be a solution being created because that's the power of of consciousness but the healing process is something that one must be conscious of and like in my instance i was uh, a pretty messed up teenager a pretty messed up young person but with early experiences. I also was involved with the early days of Richard Alpert, who was Baba Ramdas. And I, I followed Baba Ramdas's teachings when he came back from India. But before he became Baba Ramdas, I was into the LSD cult. I say cult, because we did it religiously. We used the Tibetan Book of the Dead to have ego death. So I really, really wanted to be well. I hungered to be happy. And I was in such misery. And that's a gift to have misery, to have crises, to have trauma. That's a gift. Anybody who clings to it is mistaken. They're, they're, they're too much into their ego saying that I'm broken. I can't fix it. No, we can even change our karma if we surrender to this amazing universal consciousness that's available to all of us. So the reason I'm so public about my story, I'm not bragging that I was so broken. It's not a, it's not a fun thing to be broken. It's very painful. But I figure if I tell my story, then it might help other people who can relate to it because everybody has something in their life that is broken, whether you were born with it, because it could come in with your spirit. There was a time at the end of my, and we were, were all in a process of purification, but when I thought I had achieved happiness, all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I have this terrible fear inside of me. I couldn't identify what it was. So I went to my meditation mentor and she said, as long as you've done all your homework, there is nothing like, you know, your family and your history and blah, blah, blah. You don't need to look at any of that. She said, it can be solved in meditation. 
So here is the way to do it. You wait until the feeling of just utter fear or anger or whatever that negative feeling is, you wait for it to come up like a bubble in a stew. You can't force it. You can't sit and say, okay, bad feeling, come. No, you have to wait for it to bubble up. And when it bubbles up, you get quiet as fast as you can. I actually hopped in my car away from my two young kids and went to a parking lot and locked the door. And then you dive into that horribleness, that awfulness. You don't run from it. You dive into it with breath, with fierce courage, knowing that this is the way you will heal and you dive into it. And it can be very scary because you're diving into fear. And in my instance, I was crying and shaking and it was like going through like a, a, like a wormhole in, in Star Trek, you know, and, but at the end, I went through it and it released whatever that was, that nameless fear, self-centered fear, they call it in the 12-step program. It was some kind of horrible clamp on my soul. And I went through it. And to this day, it has never come back to me again. And that was at least 20 years ago. And I think for people, it's the awareness themselves is kind of the first step because some people are unaware of what's going on or they're unaware of something that's happened and they just they think that they're just different and when you kind of look within you become aware of what it is and then you kind of like i believe yeah work work on yourself instead of external i know yeah i mean i've seen some psychologists and everything and they have a client for 20 years and unfortunately you know that that they just get the person to relive what they're going through which doesn't really cure them yeah, no, yeah. no, going through things is not the solution. Sitting on the couch for 15 years telling your story to a psychotherapist just peels the scab away more and more. <laughs> but going through trauma, allowing it to be a psychic exploration with no other person, no other means except your own courage. It's because you're taking an exploratory journey into your own psyche. And that is what meditation is. One by one by one by one, all these emotions arise if you have a meditation practice. And even vividly remembered scenarios that cause damage. And they can just be watched in meditation. But in my case, I had the, the final piece de resistance. I had to absolutely have the courage to dive into whatever it was that was holding me back. And, you know, before that, I never had the courage to, went, to go public with my story. I never, ever wrote about my own private stuff. I was always writing about fantasy things and this and that and, and painting other things that didn't have to do with wholeness. So it, it, it was revolutionary for my own private life. And now, because there's so many of, of us who are on this path of higher awareness, and we're all like this amazing tribe, we've reached, we've reached the tipping point. We are now affecting a consciousness change in humanity, person by person, and there's no stopping us. It's just amazing how it's happening. 
I mean, I've noticed that that you know, say twenty years ago or whatever, you know, most people would look at you with two heads, you know, when you're talking about even meditation or whatever. But like oh, yeah. now, you see, you know, even eighteen-year-old loads of people are actually getting it, and you oh, know, yeah. it's beautiful to see. One of I'm the stepmother to my husband's biological kids, and uh, I raised them both uh, from five and seven and at the their birthdays when they reached at puberty i gave them the gift of meditation and said this is going to be the greatest gift you'll ever get and i sat them down and taught them how to meditate in different scenarios and I, and to me it doesn't matter whether or not they are becoming meditators or not they have it in them they have the knowledge it happened to them. They had the experience. They can always tap that if they want. And of the two, one of them is a dedicated meditator. And the other one is still on the journey of more or less thinking drugs and alcohol is the answer. But eventually, the real answer will, will pop up. And I was just at an event uh, recently in uh, Estonia, Mind Valley University, and there was um, two different speakers. One was doing astral projection, talking about astral projection, and the other lucid dreaming. Is that something that you've kind of uh, look into yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, all these things are all, it all happens. It's like when you are a dedicated meditator, it's like flexing the psychic muscle. You know, it's just like we go to the gym to get nice biceps, and or I don't. I go to my yoga studio. <laughs> but the psychic world becomes just our world. So lucid dreaming, yes, you can you can actually see resolutions. Like I'll give you for instance, uh, I had a I had a challenging relationship with my mother. And when she passed at the age of 97 and a half, <laughs> I guess I've got some longevity to look forward to. It was not, I mean, I, I helped her. I actually walked her into the light at, you know, that was waiting for her to receive her because she was scared and angry and she was not grateful and she was not happy. And it was a torturous um, experience for her. For me, I felt, oh my gosh, good thing I'm here because poor mommy baby, she needs help. So I walked her to the cosmic light and released her. And and it was it was a great privilege to do that. But I thought, oh gosh, I wish we had really bonded as friends and respect each other as individual uh, entities, even though I'm her daughter, she always thought of me as her baby and she was not happy the way her baby turned out. So in a dream about three years ago, my mother and I made this connection and we united in spirit and in our spirit bodies, not in her worn out old lady body and not in my present one, but as two equal spirits, we played and we laughed and we had joyousness and we smiled and we didn't talk. We just frolicked. And I felt that that was my peace. That was the, my mother's spirit had come to me to give me that peace in my heart. 
So a lot of this can happen if we're open to it. And of course, some people are so experts. I, I know somebody in my family who's also a past life regressionist. He says, oh, yes, I am a lucid dreamer. I make my dreams, you know, do this and that. Well, there's too much of everything going on with the ego. It's best if we just whoosh, are a blank slate and let consciousness show us what we need to see to be revealed or to even feel sometimes dreams are feelings and my work is actually called visionary and i do a a lot of work that i call dream times that are almost like little snapshots of when you wake up from a dream you have a snapshot a snapshot a snapshot and you can't really connect the story until maybe later and all of a sudden aha you get it I love doing that kind of uh, visual work where it's a puzzle where people will actually look at something and they like a dream and you scratch your head and you say, hmm, what could it mean? Because a lot of art is like that. Dreams, art, sacred puzzles, they're all synonymous. And it's up to us to make the connections. And I think the worst thing you can do is to ask somebody else to interpret your dreams. You know, everybody should be asking themselves, what is my subconscious trying to tell me? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's just uh, finally, because I mentioned about the books at the start and I like I was yeah. looking on Amazon. They've all got five star ratings. You've got amazing, like the reviews are incredible. So you might just take a touch on what what each ones are so you can let people know about the, the different ones that you've got. And now you mentioned you have a new one coming out. Yes, my new baby is looking for a home because I've decided to approach um, mainstream publishers and I'm manifesting. I'm manifesting a new home. And my new one is my first novel which is, I'm going to start with the newest one because it's a really interesting thing when you have let your creative juices become so free that you trust where they're going because they are being guided by the unseen forces in our life. And that's exactly the theme of this book. And so I'm manifesting a, a very enlightened literary agent who's going to find the, the right publisher for me. And that story is about working with the bridge from this reality into the next reality, which is with us all the time. But it is where we came from when we came into our human forms. And it's where we're going to return to at, at the moment of our physical shift or transformation into our spirit bodies. And so I'll go backwards from there. The, the the third uh, or the fourth book, but it was the third nonfiction narrative, because here's the fantasy book on number five and number one was pure art. So in between fantasy and art are three nonfiction narratives. The fourth book, which is the nonfiction narrative called Hybrid Vigor, is a fascinating, true and encounters that I have had with animals and what I have learned from animals and that we must remember we're animals, we humans who think that we are kings of the universe. And for instance, I called a pod of dolphins to me just by silently sending out my mantra and the dolphins came 
first one, a scout, then a few more. And I played with this pot of dolphins for as long as my body could take it. And then I realized, oh, I'm getting cold. So that was, and that's the first of many encounters that I've had with animals that have shown me different characteristics that I like to, to say are the, the ones that we should develop, like our joyousness, our playfulness, our, you know, loyalty, all these things that like a bear is trust and, you know, fierce protection. And a dog, a dog rescued me once from just despair, a strange dog I'd never even seen before. So that's hybrid vigor. And then the going backwards, <laughs> a nonfiction narrative, a true story, but there's always the analogy of, okay, I'm the microcosm, but the world is the macrocosm. So my story is everybody's story. And in this book called Zen Love, it's about healing brokenness in a family, a family that comes from many different ways of being, a blended family, like many people have divorce and they have stepchildren, or they have married into a family that's so very different from them that does anybody understand them? And it's three generations and I, I use the analogy of going down this river called Rio Blisso, because life is blissful when we are in our spirit connection to all is well, exactly as it is. But sometimes we have to do the healing. So that's, a, that's an amazing adventure. And all my nonfiction narratives are illustrated by myself in black and white, because I just love to draw when I have an image. I will write about it, but I will also draw or paint. So the first nonfiction narrative was published in 2016 when my mother finally left the planet when she went into her spirit body. And I must say that I never had the courage to become public with my writing because she had also been, like me, a, a, a prolific writer. And I just didn't have the courage to do that until she left the planet. So lickety split, as soon as she went into her angelic realm, I started publishing. And the first book was called In the Eye, which means it, my, me, myself, and I, that I. And it's about my volunteer teaching yogic disciplines and meditation and they were called empowerment techniques because you weren't allowed to use the word meditation in prison. So I took these techniques to young girls in juvie prison. And they were angry. They were gang girls. They were pissed off. They were there. And boy, as soon as I taught them breath, the very first breath, they said, wow, what's that? What are these sparkles going on in my head? And I said, that's called oxygen. <laughs> Just starting off with teaching disturbed people how to really bring in breath so that we are oxygenated and we connect with that realm that is available to all of us. So that book, In the Eye, it also coincides with this fierce killer hurricane called Hurricane Charlie, who is coming directly and did hit directly that facility out in the middle of the swamps of, of Florida. And the girls were frightened. But with the skills that you learn through yogic mind stilling, 
they were having a wonderful experience, those girls who took my yoga class. Those are the books. Excellent. And uh, I'm assuming you did the artwork yourself because the yes. cover, yeah, yeah, no. Yes. Yes, the, uh, the cover actually, it's a fabulous uh, cover. And then I photographed it while the paint was still wet. So the, the miracle of that particular cover is the paint had not yet set up. So anybody who works with paint knows there's a certain quality that's glistening to paint before it starts to set. So I just did the painting because I had thought about it a long time. A lot of these things that we create, we are who we think. And as we think, we are or we become. And so I had visualized this cover. I knew exactly the, the technique I would use. I knew exactly the colors. I knew exactly this and that. But I'm into the spontaneity also of what will happen. Surprise me. And when it was completed, uh, which only took a few minutes because I thought it out, and then I got my iPhone out and photographed it just with a good old iPhone, it was perfect. <laughs> it was just the perfect, perfect cover image. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Tessa, I've really enjoyed our conversation. You might let people know how they can get in contact with you. Well, I have a mothership called tessalord.com. All aboard for the mothership. And there you'll have links to my podcast, which is Z-Lord. That's also on iTunes, Spotify, and everything. And um, and I have a YouTube channel with the Mind Stillers. And just contact me and join. I call it my my army of the love of light, the army of love, which is really important to be very strong and don't allow fear and negativity to come into your consciousness. Just say no to it. Just go for the love. Perfect. I'll make sure I put the link. But I mean, I can show the podcast separate as well, but I know it's all on your website, but uh, I put it both on the audio and the video. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Roy. <laughs> that's all for the meditation podcast you find our episodes on meditationpodcast.org as mentioned we're on BitChute and YouTube you'll find the links in the podcast description be sure to give us a thumbs up five star rating share with your friends and give a rating to Tez's uh, podcast as well because it all helps and helps her get up in the charts yeah. more people are listening and it's actually very <laughs> enjoyable so until next week take care <laughs>